I want to let you know uh, two things, draw your attention to two things happening. Number one, this coming Wednesday is our first Wednesday night of prayer and worship. Um, as a church for several months now, we've been uh, actually inviting uh, the family to do a corporate fast sunup to sundown every Wednesday. Uh, but there's something special when we get to link together at the end of a fast like that every Wednesday and just come and worship and pray. And so whether you've been fasting or not, that's not really the point. Uh, my encouragement is to come and let's seek God together. The first of the month we seek him first as a family. So come and join us. The second thing is uh, yesterday we sent out an email letting you know of some new steps and uh, added a focus that we're adding into uh, the youth uh, in our church, middle school, high school, and college. And we're taking some new steps this year. And uh, we're kicking it all off with a Super Bowl party coming up in a few weeks. Sunday, 5.30 for middle school, high school, and college. So if you know anyone in that age group that's a part of our church, there's information at the Next Step table. We need you to text in to RSVP. So we've got plenty of yummy food for everybody. It's going to be a fun night. And so uh, if you didn't see that email, go check your email. If you don't get our emails, repent of your sins today. If you stop out there, they'll help you get connected. I, uh, yesterday, as I opened up my notes and the scriptures to study and pray a little bit, I really was still at a loss for how to start today's message, how to set it up and frame it for us. Then as I was thinking about it, I saw in our Fresh Start Bible that we have available out there for you, if you want one, uh, a little, little added summary or a little write-up talking about how Jesus wasn't like any other teacher in his day. How when he taught, he was separated from the common commentators of his day because he was one who taught as if he had power. In other words, there were plenty of smart people. There were plenty of uh, Jordan Petersons and Joe Rogans of his day. Plenty of people adding commentary to culture and life and spirituality but what separated Jesus from them was that he was one who taught as if he had authority. That authority came from the reality that the Holy Spirit lived in him, abided in him, and was empowering him. There is something different about the word of God. There is something different about uh, what we do when we come together and we open up scriptures. We are not coming for another talk. We're coming to examine the Holy Scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Alone, I don't have the persuasion, I don't have the good articulation, and certainly my opinions will not enact true change in your life. But the Holy Spirit, through his word, absolutely can and does. I uh, grew up playing baseball, and I'm not really uh, superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. And every week, I pray a prayer that goes something like this. And you'll often see me because I'll do it at my seat and sometimes I'll do it in my office beforehand. But I pray a little prayer. I lay my hands on my head and I say, Lord, would my mind be clear and my thoughts consistent with the kingdom of heaven? God, would my heart be full of compassion for the people of God today? May my words in my mouth be concise and clear and God help me not to get cotton mouth because the struggle is real. 
I laid my hands on my belly and I said, Lord, would there be like a fire in my belly, a conviction set ablaze by the truth of your word? I lay my hands on my legs and I say, God, would you give me the courage to stand before your people and declare truth today? And then I take a little baby step and I say, Lord, as I step out from my seat towards that stage, I step out of myself and into your anointing. I don't share that with you for oohs and ahs or accolades or for you to be impressed. I just recognize that today I'm standing before you completely humble. And knowing that I'm going to open up the word of God and I have to be faithful to what the word says, despite my opinion, my preference, or yours. And that unless the spirit moves among us today, we're just all wasting our time. And I long for the Lord to move among us. Today we're going to talk about how the radiant people of God must Keep the main thing, the main thing. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, keep it, keep the main thing, the main thing. Matthew 22, we're going to look at two interactions Jesus has today where he's helping his followers and those listen how to keep the main thing, the main thing. Here we go. Matthew 22, starting in verse 15, it says this. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how they might trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Pause. Cancel culture is nothing new. They've been trying to cancel the word of God for a long time. Can I just encourage you, if you're going to get canceled by friends and family and the culture around you, please get canceled for godly purposes and not ungodly passions. Don't get canceled because you couldn't say kind things. Don't get canceled because you didn't know how to give forgiveness. Don't get canceled because, man, you couldn't keep it in your pants. Don't get canceled in relationships because you couldn't study for the test and so you cheated. Don't get canceled, young people, because you can't help but gossip about the people around you. Don't get canceled for ungodly passions. Get canceled because you are holding to godly convictions. Keep your integrity. Keep your humility. Keep your Christian witness even among your politics. And at all costs, keep your faith and allegiance to Jesus. Let's go on. We've only made it one verse. (laughs) They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us, what do you think about this? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. Hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me a coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. Friends, I want you to know we have a dual citizenship. 
We have a dual citizenship. For the follower of Jesus, for the believer, for the Christian, for those who have been buried in the baptism waters and raised again to new life, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God and we are citizens of our nation. We have dual citizenship. Philippians 1.27 says it like this, above all, somebody say above all. Above all, you must live as citizens of, what's that word? Heaven. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ Jesus. What is Paul reminding us? The same thing Jesus was modeling. Don't get canceled for ungodly passions. Don't lose your Christian witness. Remember, you are a dual citizen, a citizen of heaven and a citizen of this land. First Peter 2, 11 says it like this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful not to be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will actually see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the kings of, as heads of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish for for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. In other words, they're keeping the law and that's a good thing. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free. Yet you're slaves of God. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Oh, but love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Friends, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We have to recognize that we have a dual citizenship, but there is a priority to which we need. Jesus was trying to get us to keep the main thing, the main thing. What is all of these things saying? How do we correlate what Jesus said about give Caesar what's his and God what's his and what Paul is saying to the Philippians and what Peter is writing to his audience? What do we put together? Here's what I want you to see. If you're taking notes, write this down. We need to contribute positively to human society and contribute to God's kingdom. Prioritizing our heavenly citizenship informs how we participate as citizens in our nation. The priority is understanding our citizenship in heaven informs how we participate in the societies of humanity. Dr. Preston Sprinkle says it like this, Jesus wasn't a political centrist, nor was he left nor right. Because Jesus didn't adopt political categories handed to him by Rome or the Jewish sects. 
In other words, Jesus created his own categories determined by the upside down kingdom and empire he was establishing. He came to announce and usher in the kingdom of heaven, which is coming and creeping in and supersedes the kingdom of man. Why? Because above all, remember, you are citizens of heaven. Above all, Jesus is not trying to give you a divided love. Rather, he is emphasizing a rightly ordered love. He's emphasizing a correctly ordered loyalty that we hold to. Anything that we are loyal to above the kingdom of God and Jesus is king is a disordered loyalty. Everyone is wondering, what in the world is he about to say? Here's what I'm going to say. Yes, absolutely care what happens in our nation. Yes, absolutely contribute to society and our community. No, do not be consumed by it in a way that causes you to act contrary to heaven's standards. No, I do not believe let's go Brandon is an appropriate thing that Jesus would co-sign. I'm scanning the audience for things somebody wants to throw at me, and I just want you to know I still got some moves. <laughs> How many of you drove here on a road? Come on. Come on. Some of you are not even participating, and the Lord sees it. Y'all are like, he's setting us up. Yes, I am. Yes, yes, I am. I drove here on a road, a road that I did not personally write the check for the completion of. I contributed. I pay taxes. I render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's. I contributed to the good of our society, and so do you. And it would be wrong for us to act as if we don't benefit in other ways from the good of society and the flourishing of our communities. I deeply care about what our nation does when it comes to its money management. I really do, but I cannot ignore the fact that I also benefit from the reality of that it exists in its structure. The Jewish leaders were benefiting from the Roman tax and the Roman government's protection. They were benefiting from some of those things in their day. In other words, they had their hands in both realities, and Jesus wasn't condemning them for having that. He was just reminding them to have correctly ordered Love and loyalty. Should all citizens contribute? Yeah, I think they probably should. But if not, that doesn't negate my willingness to contribute to the benefit of society and human flourishing in the communities and the nation in which I live because I have a dual citizenship. Heaven first, but still a part of this land. But I am not going to participate nor allow someone else's perceived lack of participation consume my Christianity with negativity, nor contaminate my Christian witness by how I treat, talk about, or live in this land. One commentary I read this week says it like this. The Roman poll tax, which is what they were talking about, was fiercely resented by patriotic Jews 
as a symbol of their political subjection. Some 25 years earlier, in fact, a major revolt against this tax had been sparked off by a Galilean popular leader named Judas, from whom the zealot group took its inspiration. Zealot groups, this was a uh, sometimes violent, very vocal, very anti-establishment, overthrow the government, uh, kind of think Antifa, BLM, QAnon, and defund the police kind of movements. Chuckles nervously fill the room. It was thus a loaded question to Jesus. To support the tax was to be unpatriotic. While to oppose it was politically dangerous. Especially for a Galilean popular leader like Jesus. In getting them to show him a denarius, however, Jesus exposed them as hypocrites since no patriotic Jew should have been carrying this very coin with the idolatrous portrait of an emperor and its inscription giving him the title son of God. If they were using Caesar's money, well, they should pay Caesar's poll tax. Jesus thus distanced himself decisively from the zealot positions and implied that loyalty to a pagan government wasn't incompatible with loyalty to God. He just did not say specifically what one should do when the two loyalties conflict. In other words, Jesus was reminding them to keep the main thing, the main thing. What is that? Make sure you have rightly ordered loyalties above all. Remember you are citizens of heaven. Above all, remember that the king that you really answer to is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Above all, don't allow the earthly pleasures and the systems of our world to pull you in a way that contaminates, confuses, or brings about a lack of integrity to your Christian witness. Keep the main thing, the main thing. One of the ways we keep the main thing, the main thing, is to make sure you're giving God what belongs to God. Your priority is to God and his kingdom. My priority is to God and his kingdom. This is what Jesus said and did, but not in some show of resistance, nor dominance to authorities, nor rebelliousness. Why? Because rebellion was not on brand with Jesus' full commitment to live a humble life and to honor his authorities. Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. Rightly ordered citizenships, where our citizenships in heaven and the proper way in which we participate in the kingdom of God informs, influences, and motivates our participation as citizens in this land that we live. It's rightly ordered loyalty. Jesus said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Turn to your other neighbor and say, keep the main thing, the main thing. Come on, rightly ordered loyalties. Let's keep reading. Verse 23, Matthew 22 says this. That same day, man, they are relentless. Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the
also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, you mistake. You don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. Pause. The Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection, you see. Bad preacher joke, sorry. In fact, the the reason they really didn't believe in the resurrection would be because in their particular uh, persuasion of Jewish faith, they did not hold to the full counsel of what was considered the canon of scriptures for the Hebrews. They only believed that the first five books were inspired. So it was uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the only books they said were of God and inspired by him. Now, that was different than their day because most all Jews held to a belief that the canon of scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures were Genesis through Malachi, what we would call our Old Testament. They held to believe that was the word of God. Friends, they didn't know the full scriptures, Jesus said. And because they didn't know the full scriptures, they also did not know the power of God and what he was capable of doing. Why? Here's why. Because confusion comes when you don't know or recognize the full counsel of God's word. In your life, you will be confused about the reality of the kingdom of God and your participation in it and what life in the world to come looks like when you don't know what the scriptures actually say. If you are taking your cues on how to be a spiritual person from culture, you will live a confused spiritual life. That was a great place for the Bible-believing church to say amen. Friends, my question is, do you accept God's whole word as authority in your life? Or are you picking and choosing the stuff you like? Because if we're going to keep the main thing the main thing and we're going to have rightly ordered loyalties, we've got to let the word say what the whole word says. Let's keep reading. Jesus, verse 29, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. He is the God of the living, not the... He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham who who lived one day. He says, I am the God who is living. There is something beautiful that we see as God is the God of the living but the question that they were really coming to trap him with was this issue of resurrection what happens in the resurrection what happens in the life to come and and they were using this idea of what happens when you die and what happens in the ultimate resurrection and and how do we get there and what does marriage look like in heaven and all of these things friends here's what we need to understand that jesus was giving us an understanding of something 
marriage, as we understand it, ends in this life. Jesus saying that does not devalue the point of marriage in this life. In fact, if anything, we need to recognize he is affirming the reality of marriage between one man and one woman in this life and defining it as such. He says when we die, when it comes to the marriage reality, we will be like angels not married. He doesn't say we become angels when we die. When we die, he says we become like angels, not that we become angels. I, I want to skip to uh, something that I've got written a little bit l later on. Uh, God is the God of the living. So for the follower of Jesus, there is life beyond this current reality. What do we know? We, we know according to Luke 16 and 2 Corinthians 5 that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Luke tells us a story where Jesus is saying, hey, listen, when we die, we become disembodied spirits and souls for the believer going to a place called paradise to the unbeliever going to a place just called darkness and death, separation, if you will, disembodied. When you die, your body remains here, and your spirit and your souls move on to either be with Jesus in paradise. What does paradise look like? We don't have a ton of actual scriptural information. We have a lot of information about what happens when Jesus returns in the new heavens and the new earth, and we'll get into that in a minute. But what we need to understand is that when we exit this earth, we do not become angels. You don't become a little baby on a cloud, shooting people around Valentine's Day, helping them fall in love. He says we become like angels. He doesn't say we become angels. Like angels in the sense that we're not given in marriage, nor are we continuing in marriage. We become li like angels. I, I, your loved ones, when they die, do not become your guardian angels. And that's often what we talk about. Oh, they're here and they're there and they're watching over us and in fact, in, in, in the scripture in Luke, you can go back and read it, Luke 16. The story Jesus tells lets us know that there is a great chasm between where paradise is, earth, and where those who are separated from God are. There's a great chasm, and scripture says it is fixed. But pastor, you don't understand. I, I know their, their aura is with me, and, and they've talked to me spoken with them. No. He spoke with a demon parading as light. Friends, I believe that we have to hold to the counsel of all of God's word. And it's really hard as a pastor to sit up here and say it because 
so many of us have lost someone. And for those who are not guaranteed or assured of our Christian hope of resurrection, we are grabbing and holding on to, and our culture is perpetuating ideas, and even people who, who, in the name of God, have tried to ease our pain and our grief and our loss and our sorrow, are, are trying to hold on to hope of something. Because it hurts, and we grieve, and we've got lost, and we want it to be true. We want it to be this, and we want it to be that, but... But what we need to know is that eternity matters. What we do on this life matters. And our faith in Jesus matters because that is what gives us hope in the future. To say things like marriage ends in this life is really challenging. Because if I'm really honest, it's... It's all the fun things of marriage that I don't want to end. Because, I mean, it would be perfect. How much better? Here's all I know. Is that whatever we have now is here for now for a reason. What is that reason? Marriage is a pattern given as a foretaste of the life in the world to come. Marriage is given to us in this life as a gift illustrating God's covenant love. Marriage is a gift designed to point humanity to the giver of the gift. Much of this life is a sampling like walking through Costco and tasting those little things along the way, a sampling, a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God, food and feast and beauty and new births and family and taking good naps and the sense of fulfillment from a hard day's work, the fruitfulness of our lives, the, a harvest that is gleaned, a recreation that we get to enjoy, the, the ability to explore and to discover new things, these are gifts given to us in this life as a tasting, as a sampling of a better reality that is to come in the life and the world to come. So anything that we have now that is good, hear me, hear me, hear me. We have a tendency to turn the gifts of God into the object of our affection and our allegiance, making those gifts our own God. So we turn marriage into our God, seeking it to be the fulfillment of all things in our lives. We turn a new relationship into a thing that we pursue and give our full affection and attention to. We turn our family and our kids into our own idols of self-satisfaction. Any good gift comes from God, and it's meant to point us back to God. The ability to have money and wealth and, and enjoy life in a good, holistic way, that too can become an idol. Why? Every good gift comes from God. And if we're not careful, we can turn the gifts into the object of our affection, and we give our love, our loyalty, and our allegiance, and our pursuits, and our passion to the gifts and trying to protect it, rather than remembering that this gift was meant to point us to the giver of the gift. He says, God is the God of the living. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that all the good things we experience on this earth point us to something else. Water baptism 
is not just about a, an allegiance that you're creating. Water baptism is about painting a picture for you and me and everyone watching of resurrection life that you'll get to experience as a follower of Jesus. Bodily resurrection when Jesus returns. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Let's go, go to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Somebody say, keep the main thing the main thing. So when it comes to the good gifts of God, the main thing is to remember that God is the giver of the gifts, and the giver is worthy of the worship, not the gift. Keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus is coming again. It's going to be good. And what we see now is a taste of the better and the perfect that will come later on. These are the main things. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, let's start in verse 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. In other words, if you are still living and breathing when Jesus returns, awesome. But most of us probably won't experience that. Many, some of us and many of your family before you have tasted death in this life, right? In other words, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Somebody say new but there is an order, rightly ordered priority, a rightly ordered reality. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Friends, we are resurrection people. We believe that Jesus died, was buried, and three days later he what? rose again. He res resurrected. He was the first to do it. As a sampling, as a gift, as a foretaste, as a pointing towards what will happen when Jesus returns again. Verse 24, after that, after what? After Jesus returns and the dead in Christ are raised, after that, they, the end will come. And when he will turn, and then he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. If all you had were these verses, that's a good place to start when it comes to your eschatology, end times things. Let me simplify it. Jesus returns. All those who are already dead, raised. All those who believe in Christ, Resurrected bodies are ours. He turns the keys, defeated, having, having defeated all the powers, disarming them, gives them to God, and we throw a party. The end. For Christ, we're going to talk more about end time stuff in the coming weeks. I just want you to get ready for it. Verse 25, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scripture says God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then he has to add these clauses because we're stupid and we think dumb things sometimes. And we jump to conclusions that we shouldn't jump to. Verse 28, then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Verse 29, if the dead will not be raised, what is the point in people being baptized? 
Why do it unless the dead will someday be raised again? In other words, what is he saying? Why go through baptism if you're going to eventually die anyways? If baptism is a point of resurrection, it's just a picture, a sampling of the resurrection you get to experience a little bit later on. That's all he's trying to say. Verse 30, and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, wild beasts, that's... um, Biblical language for demonic forces, by the way. Those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead, and if there is no resurrection, well, let's just feast and drink, for tomorrow we all die anyways. Don't be fooled by those who say those things. After all, bad company will totally corrupt your good morals, good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say, some of you, you don't know God at all. But some may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will we have? Come on, that's a fun question to think about. What's that going to look like? What kind of bodies are we going to get? Can I, like, place a, a, a mail order body, please? What a foolish question. Oh, sorry. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. Different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One after humans, animals, birds, and another fish. Pause. He's not talking about uh, reincarnation, where when you get resurrected, you get resurrected as a cow or a chicken, depending on how good you were on this earth. It's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about God has given different fleshes intentionally. He's just talking about the intentional design of God. There are also bodies in heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun was once, uh, the sun has one kind of glory, the moon a different kind of glory. And even the stars are different for each in their own glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies planted in the ground when we die, like a seed buried. But they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. They're going to be raised in glory. Our bodies bodied in weakness. They will be raised in strength. They are buried in natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is the life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, in other words, 1.0 was you being born in a normal earthly body. 2.0 was your spiritual body being made new. And 3.0 is your resurrected body. 
Scripture tells us first Adam became a living person, but the last Adam, and that is Christ, is the life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the fullness of the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. You need a new resurrected body to do that. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We may not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will live, uh, that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will finally be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thanks God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, amen. This is what we're holding to. This is the Christian hope. The Christian hope is that the blood of Jesus is enough. The Christian hope is that our allegiance in him, while in this life, in this earth, gives us dual citizenship. So we rightly order our priorities and our citizenship, heaven and God first, and everything else can fall in line after that. That we hold to the full counsel of God's word, keeping the main thing the main thing, not getting sidetracked, loving the gifts more than we get to know and worship and adore the giver. And that because of our faith and our allegiance in him, when we die as followers of Jesus, it's not the end because we're going to have resurrection coming later for us. Friends, I'm not trying to devalue our citizenship and our partnership and the realities of the problems that we have in this life. I am not trying to lower the beauty or the prominence of marriage in this life. I'm simply trying to elevate our hope for the life and the world to come, which is way better than the samples we get to taste while on this earth, in this life. Friends, keep the main thing the main thing. Live with rightly ordered citizenship, rightly ordered loyalties, with worship to God more than the gifts, and a rightly ordered life. Above all, remember, you've been invited into a citizenship kingdom that has begun now and through us we continue to take ground for the Lord 
so that one day he returns having vanquished and destroyed all the forces of the enemy. I want to close with this. It's a man by the name of Winfield Scott Whedon, who at the age of 61 died in 1908. He served in the army and he ended up owning a hotel in New York where he also served and led music for the YMCA. When he died, he had the title of one of his songs that he wrote etched on his tombstone. These were the three words. I surrender all. Keeping the main thing the main thing, friends, is making a conscious decision in faith and what you know to be true about Jesus and his word to say, I surrender all my political opinions. I surrender all my desire for the economics of our world to be right. I surrender all my family so that I love God more than any gift he's ever given me. I surrender all so that my actions in my life don't contaminate my Christian witness. I surrender all. Do you stand with me as we come to a moment? And I want you to close your eyes and turn your focus and your attention on Jesus, the King. I want to read you the lyrics to this song, I Surrender All. And as I'm doing it and we're talking about the earthly things that kind of grab and pull for our heart and the things that we value and the gifts that God's given us and even our thoughts about afterlife and what happens when we die. and Just simply ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit are the things that I haven't surrendered. Are you asking me to surrender something else today? Is there something of a disordered loyalty and love in my life that you want to turn into a rightly ordered loyalty in my life? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. Oh, in his presence, I want to daily live. Oh, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender humbly at his feet, I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit, truly know thou art mine. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings please fall on me. I surrender all. 
surrender all to thee. Oh, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. God, that's our prayer today. That we would live surrendered to you knowing you and your kingdom are the main thing. May we keep it the main thing. In the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, in the name of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Friends, if you need prayer for anything going on in your life, man, we've, we've got a team. They'd love to just pray with you, connect with you. Don't leave if you need prayer without getting it. Let's speak benediction and blessing over one another as the family of God. Let's say this together. Ready, go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Hey, we love you. Go in God's grace and peace. Let's go, Chiefs. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.